And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll be raking over the coals of our 2-2 draw at home to them lot. A game most of the pundits call pulsating, but I found intensely irritating and annoying. (laughs) We'll talk about injuries and a selection headache ahead of Wednesday's EFL Cup game away at Brentford. And we'll chat about our captain signing a new contract until 2028. I'm here with Adrian Clark and Amy Lawrence. Morning. Good morning. Hello, hello. Hello. Uh, Before we get into it, I was talking to Jay, our producer, earlier in the week, and we had the following WhatsApp exchange. I said, Wednesday was really great, wasn't it? We have the makings of a very special team. Erdegaard is ridiculously good, right? And he came back to me and he said, new contract for Erdegaard is great. Pretty incredible. We've got all this amazing talent signed up. So exciting, right? This was on Friday. Uh, Sunday afternoon, yesterday afternoon, the same person, Jay, was an angry ball of energy sitting next to me. (laughs) Another angry ball of energy as we blew a lead twice against Tottenham. How quickly the mood can change. Uh, We can also mention the moment Jesus missed that chance at 1-0. So I was wondering about mood swings. Uh, Aside from Arsenal, who, of course, uh, can be the cause of multiple mood swings within a 90-minute period on a Saturday or Sunday? What causes your mood to swing most violently? Uh, Amy, I'm not coming to you first because you're a woman, all right? Because I, can I just say, I'm one of the moodiest people I know. I was just waiting for this. This is a question tailor-made for me. Well, it's also tailor-made for a stand-up comedian, I should tell you, by the way. But, uh, Amy, what causes your mood to swing most violently? Well, I thought in the interests of this being a family show, it would be uh, only correct to keep this to inanimate objects. Because, you know, we all, we can all get affected by other humans. Oh, aren't they annoying? Uh, <laughs> aren't they annoying? They are. Um, yeah, <laughs> and basically, I'm afraid this is very banal, but printers. Oh. Nothing can change my mood more quickly <laughs> than an effing printer, which whenever you're under stress and tension to print something out, because most things don't need printing unless they're important, Oh, you're halfway through the bloody page, whirring through that stupid piece of plastic and, you know, uh, uh, you know, that shrieking, shrill noise of doom begins. <laughs> and then you've got to fight with this machine. Nothing worse than the paper jam, is there? You know. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, whose idea is it that printer ink lasts like two pages and you've got like 12 different colours? The people who it, produce oh, printer ink. Honestly, yeah. It's straight in my room 101. I can be in having a really great day. And if something needs printing out, I just, you know, I brace myself because I know I'm about to yeah, have a I think, bad time. I think we can all pretty much uh, go along with that. I'm out of paper. No, you're not. I can see the paper there. Can you get me some magenta ink? <laughs> what is that? What cyan. Even is cyan? Light what cyan? is that? 
all of that. Yeah. I mean, uh, it could be almost anything technical, to be honest. But yeah, yeah. printers have a, oh, special, know that. a special vibe of their own. We've seen you in action, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> we know. Can we just do a local recording? Oh, hang on a minute. How does this work? <laughs> Um, Adrian, what about you? Oh, so many things can just so wind things. me up. So many things can just change my mood. Running late really uh, can turn turn me from being a happy person into a, a panicky, very moody person. And also, the other thing I've jotted down here is, is criticism. Sometimes, and like it, it 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 gets to me sometimes, and if, it can be self criticism as well. If I know I've made a mistake, I can really beat myself up over it for quite a while, actually. And then I can park it, and then I'll move on. I don't let things linger, but it will really affect my mood if I mess up. But I suppose we're all a little bit like that, aren't we? I would say so. Uh, I mean, I, it, the way to answer this, I actually thought about this and thought there isn't anything that doesn't make my mood swing. <laughs> I mean, this is true. Oh, to be honest, I mean, genuinely, you I win today's say pods, Tony. I'll give you that. No, it could be anything. It could be absolutely anything. And you're right, inanimate, animate, doesn't really matter. The other one that would do it to all of us, of course, is football, as we've said. And yesterday we had a prime example of that. Arsenal 2, Spurs 2. Starting 11, David Raya, <laughs> probably the number one goalkeeper now. I mean, anything's possible, I guess. But if you play a keeper in the Champions League game in the North London Derby, it's probably an indication of which way the wind is blowing. And then Zinchenko, Gabriel Saliba, White, Rice, Vieira, Odegaard, Jesus, Eddie Nketiah and Saka. Adrian, was it all too much after the Champions League? I mean, we were all pretty emotional, weren't we? The music, the lights, the performance. We had a great, great fun talking about it on Wednesday. And it's not easy to lift yourself for another one four days later. No, I disagree. Uh, I think it was the easiest Champions League game you could have wished for. I don't think too much emotion was expended by the players. I just, I just don't think we played as well as we can it was it was below par from us I don't want to praise them too much on this show but I thought they they were excellent much better than I anticipated that they would be can we cut that Jay Jay can we cut that <laughs> alright because I mean alright I mean, we don't actually alright fine we said they were good let's not go there let's again. not drag no but I don't think we can use the Champions League as an excuse genuinely no? I don't I, I think we can use the fact that we lost Declan Rice at half time as, as a factor in the game, that we were down to our third choice defensive midfielder. We can use the fact that we'd lost our two left wingers, Martinelli and Trossard. And we had to play a centre forward who'd been brilliant up top the previous game out left. We can use those as reasons and factors behind uh, the performance. But the bottom line is we didn't really cope with the occasion and Tottenham's aggression well enough in the game, in my no. opinion. No, I mean, Amy, on that point about losing some big players, I mean, we've seen how well Man City have started this season without Kevin De Bruyne in the team, one of the best midfielders to play in the Premier League. So it's not that I don't want to make excuses, but in the end, this is... Uh, Mikel Arteta said it after the game. They asked him about the Champions League and losing players, and he said, this is what you have to cope with if you want to be a team at this level. I, I completely agree. I think Adrian's spot on. You could, you know, a couple of people near me were making exactly that point about the Champions League, and I don't think you can wish much more for a no-travel week, two home games, an easy opponent on Wednesday and a very comfortable an enjoyable game where people actually found confidence and and a bit of form and 
you're only using hindsight to try and twist that into a, a, a negative somehow. And if you want to be in the Champions League and have a go at the Prem, you have to cope with more difficult weeks than that, to be completely honest. So not really up for that as as too big of a factor. And if it is, then it's a problem. But I, I just think, you know, lots of teams moaning about their injuries um, at the moment. And there's a sort of strange one-upmanship about it. Oh, you think you've got injuries? Or nothing like what we've got. Well, exactly. But I I think there's an important distinction between sort of general injuries and cluster injuries. And that's where, you know, Adrian mentions you're down to your third choice left winger and defensive midfield player. And that has a knock-on effect in the team and where others play. That was really the root of a lot of the difficulties. It does feel like if you go through the team and you say who gave us a seven out of 10 or above, I think maybe that's tells you everything you need to know because there just weren't enough. Sacker and, and Saliba, I, I basically. Don't th- yeah, I don't think you can go into a, a North London derby, a game of that magnitude and be giving a less than a seven out of 10. That's really disappointing. And I think quite a few people will have to have a look at themselves and ask themselves why that happened and not only why it happened, but why they weren't able to change it. I found myself in the in the middle of the second half looking at the players and sort of pining for a Adams Vieira type of character. Someone who's prepared to just grab hold of it and get hold of the others around them. And I, because it's still quite a young and evolving team, I, you know, I think sort of the great winning teams of old would sort each other and themselves out on the pitch if things weren't quite working right. And that didn't happen in this team. And this is a factor of the youth, Amy? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just football's changed and, you know, (laughs) things get micromanaged by managers. I don't know if players have the same level of sorting things out by themselves or taking the initiative on the pitch or having a word with the other guy next to you and saying, you make sure you're on this man or you get closer or whatever the little instructions are that used to be completely commonplace in successful teams of old. That was how they operated. You know, you had to be able to take and dish out bits of advice to your teammates for the good of the of the team. And I sort of found myself looking at Odegaard. Obviously, everyone's like, he's a marvellous player and it's phenomenal that he has signed this new deal. But just in terms of leadership, you know, and it wasn't easy, but it needed someone to not just look after their own game, but get hold of everybody else and, you know give them a little bit yeah. of imp- either instruction or impetus to... That's captaincy. Yeah, yeah, it's another yeah. area. And I'm not, I'm not... This is absolutely not to put any blame on Odo. I think he's a fantastic captain for this team at the moment. But I'm just saying, doesn't even have to be the captain sometimes. It can be, you know, Jens Lehmann would do it, for example. He wasn't the captain. You know, Nigel Winterburn or Lee Dixon would do it. They weren't the, the captain. Thierry Omri, before he was the captain, would turn around and have a word with whoever needed to on the pitch. It's it's more of a kind of attitude thing where you have that uh, ability to work out what's wrong as it's going on around you and talk to people about it and try and find solutions. And it was just a bit passive, you know? It was a bit like, hopefully someone will sort it out. And I felt a bit like that at the end of the Man United game when you're going for the win and there wasn't really anything happening for 15 minutes and then, boom, Declan Rice took that initiative. And it was like, who was going to take the initiative? And nobody nobody could quite raise it. Adrian, I mean, on Amy's point, 
Is that Declan Rice, really? Mm. I mean, he was the captain at West Ham. He was exactly the guy who would do that. And that really, if we're talking about things that, uh, that you know, t- turning points in a game, one is Gabriel Jesus, of course, missing that chance at 1-0. And the other one is Declan Rice coming off at half-time and how, how much we missed him. And not just his physical presence, but his general presence, his charisma, his way of being able to talk to the other players and go, you go there, you go there, come tuck in, let's just hold, have what we hold for 10 minutes. Yeah, he was a big miss in the second half. Yeah, no doubt about it. I actually think for the first 35 minutes, we weren't bad. We were pretty good, mm. especially in terms of the pressing. Um, really good. Obviously, Tottenham were determined to play out from the back, taking some some crazy risks. Um, and we regained the ball magnificently, I thought, um, I've got some numbers here, actually. We won it 15 times inside Tottenham's half in the first 35 minutes, which is a third of the game because we went to 104, 105. 15 times we won it in the first third. In the next two thirds, we only won it 18 times. Yeah, so so, yeah. so we, we, we dropped off. We, could, we, we ran out of gas a little bit when it came to, to closing them down, ran out of energy. And that impacted the game because it allowed Tottenham to play through us and to then, you know, manufacture attacks. Um, and I think the Declan in that second half would have probably got us together and probably got us a little bit higher up the pitch and, and to be a little bit more aggressive. He also brings great composure. And I think that this performance lacked a little bit of composure on the ball. We allowed ourselves to get a touch flustered. Um, you know, our passes, our passing was loose, I think. That's fair to say from all over the pitch yeah, um, and we didn't produce those combinations that we that we need to produce that when Arsenal play well it's all about the the triangles it's all about bang 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 play someone in and 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 unfortunately we did two passes or three passes and that was it end of move Tottenham did a very good job at, at either breaking up play or fouling us um there were 31 fouls in the game 19 from Spurs um, I've got a stat for you, which I think is pretty interesting. I think it it it's a stat that suits Spurs so much more than it suited us. And that's the ball in play stat. Um, so we had 104 minutes. The ball was in play for 52. Pretty much 50% of the game. Now, I got on the old Opsa hotline last wow. night and said, that feels a little bit low to me. And they said, yeah, it's the second lowest in the Premier League this season after Newcastle versus Brentford. So what I'm saying is that they disrupted the flow of the game. It became very, very stop-start. They also hogged the ball when they had it, kept it for long periods. So in essence, out of that 52 minutes, the ball was in play. How, how much did we have it? How, how, how much time did we spend on the ball? And I think the answer really is not enough. And, um, and that's a lesson, I think, to, to learn moving forward. Um, and when we have it, we've obviously got to look after it a little bit better th- than we did. I, I don't want to dig out Eddie Nketiah or Mikel Arteta, but I would have, I would have took Eddie off and moved Jesus into the centre forward position. Um, yeah. Eddie, Eddie only made six successful passes in the game yeah. and he played the game, the whole game. And, and you know, that you need more from your centre forward in terms of showing for the ball and linking it with others. We, did, we didn't produce the combinations. Well, let, let me ask about, about, particularly about Eddie and Jesus. Amy, I mean, I thought Gabriel Jesus, when he came on the other day and also when he started the other day and when he came on the game before and he was playing at centre forward and I like him playing at centre forward, but he does miss big chances. I mean, obviously, he was the one who nicked the ball off Madison. 
but you've got to at least hit the target. And that really felt like a pivotal moment in the whole afternoon, didn't it? Mm, that word composure again that uh, you mentioned, Adrian. It just felt like one way he did brilliantly to, to create the chance for himself and win the chance for himself. But, you know, just a little quarter of a second to look up. Side foot. Take a beat, pass it in, yeah. There was, there was two corners available and um, I think that would have been a, a certain goal. It always reminds me of what Ian Wright used to say, that he right, was taught exactly. by his old teacher, just look up, look up, find the biggest space and pass it in. And, Ice uh, <laughs> in the veins. And, and you wonder with, with Gabriel Jesus, I mean, it's better almost if that chance falls to Eddie Nketiah, isn't it? Because Eddie's more of a finisher than, uh, than Gabby Jesus. Do we have a problem up front? Can I ask this question, Adrian? Do we have a problem up front? We cannot score. We don't have what I would call a killer goal-scoring centre-forward. Yeah, look, I think if if Mikel Arteta saw fit to upgrade the goalkeeping position, then I think he probably must be looking at the centre-forward position and thinking, if we're going to go to the next level, maybe we need to bring in, yeah, so a, a real marksman. I, I, me and Amy have been banging this drum for a long time um, in terms of... I really like Gabriel Jesus. I think he creates great chaos and he is he is our number one striker. But I do think that to just have Eddie there as an alternative, maybe plus Kai Havertz is is not enough when you're when you're looking to win the league and, and go deep in the in the Champions League. So yeah, I I think we do need one. I think in January or or, or next summer. I'll be amazed if we don't bring in a striker, whether it's as a first choice or as, a, as a, someone to compete with, with Gabriel Jesus. You know, I'm not quite sure yet. But yeah, that, that, that was the game's key moment. I actually thought Jesus was one of our better performers. Won the ball really well. But, but yeah, that was, that was big. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. 
we were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian Stone, Adrian Clark, and Amy Lawrence here on the Athletics Arsenal podcast Handbrake Off. Stoney, you just said the question, you know, have we got a problem, uh, you know, at centre forward? Uh, I'll just throw another have we got a problem question at you in that I can't work out why we've got the problem or why it can't be resolved, but have we got a problem in conceding goals at home, Adrian? Because it's of course we have, yeah. it's just ongoing and one clean sheet in the last eleven Premier League games in the Emirates, and that was in the final day win of last season. Mm. What do we do, Adrian? What what do we do? Because we have got we've got good we've got a good goal we've got two good goalkeepers we've got lots of good defenders and we've got especially when Declan Rice or parties out there some good shielding midfield players. Why can Arsenal not stop giving away? And when when you look at all those non-clean sheets how many of those goals are given away it feels like so most many. of them so what 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 can Arsenal do I think it's um, emotion I think we've got to control our emotions a little bit better I don't necessarily think that was the case in this game with with what well, it may, may have been with Gabriel Jesus and that huge huge moment but the two goals we conceded were actually lapses in concentration weren't they so I think it's it's a mental thing. Do we get caught too caught up in the atmosphere, too caught up in the idea that we've got to fly bodies forward and score three, four, five goals? Maybe. It is a hard one to put your finger on. Um, we're talking we about look... the same thing here, Adrian, really, mm. emotion and concentration. Essentially, essentially, they get too caught up in the occasion and their concentration wavers because yeah, of it. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, look, just breaking down these goals very quickly, I mean, Ben White has got to, has got to move. For, for when when Madison is one v one with Saka out wide, he's him and Declan Rice are standing there, just by the near post. Ben White's got to go. He's or Declan, go. but he was injured, wasn't he? he I mean, Declan I think Declan Rice was well, injured. But, but it's, no, you know, Ben is the right right back as well, and and yes. and, and I think get that over there. he he had to get over there quicker, and he was way too late. And obviously, Jorginho, it's a, you know, we, we've all made those mistakes where you just you, you dilly dally and and get caught. So. Yeah, I think it's emotion rather than something tactical or structural. We do get caught on a lot of counters, but we play high up though, don't yeah, we? Yeah, but like Manchester fair. City get caught on counters, uh, maybe not exposed quite as badly as us. I think structurally we, we've got to be a bit better on those turnovers, but I think the the crux of it is is mental and 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 making sure we. I think you use the term that we stay ice cold yes. in our heads. Yeah. Yes. You look at the way City are and how ruthless it all is. It's not. I don't think it's great to watch, but you know what? They don't care and their fans certainly don't care. They do what needs to be done to get through the game. When they were 2-0 against Forest at the weekend, I never felt like Forest were going to get back into it. I know there was a little bit of tension in the crowd, but I don't think there was tension on the pitch. Amy, you want to say something here? I think that's a really interesting sort of friction between, on the one hand wanting to be ice cold and on the other hand wanted to be really hot I mean I don't know that I want or quite believe it's right to have a team that is just ice cold I think you need to have that kind of bubbling energy as well and and, and there are certainly times in games and I think it's been a, a big part of this team's strength over the last year or so in their development that they can rouse themselves to, you know, get fired up and get late wins or late goals or whatever it is or come back. And I guess the trick is how do you manage to be a bit of both in games? How do you manage either flicking between one or the other at the appropriate moment or, you know, 
or, or being a bit of both at the same time. But it's like trying to find that sweet spot of where you can have both in your in your emotional sort of uh, suitcase, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Amy, you're right. You are right. But I would also say that it's not putting yourself in the position too often where you have to do what you have to, where we had to get late goals last season against May United and against Bournemouth and various other games. I think a team like City, who I see as a more sort of grown-up iteration of what we're trying to become, have less of those moments. They basically they, 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 do, they but... put them they put themselves in a position where they don't have to expend too much emotion, and it could be that emotional all that emotion that we expended came back to bite us at the end of the season, as well, of course, as injuries to key players in key positions. Go on, Adrian. Yeah, I do. I, I'm just thinking about the goals that we conceded or the chances that we conceded. They're, mo- they're mainly from last season and this season. They are mainly from us losing the ball and then other teams bursting into space and breaking on us, aren't they? So, you know, it's twofold. You've just got to lose the ball less and just be a bit more careful with our, with our passing. But then you've also got to work on that structure and maybe commit one less player forward and just ask, whether it's Declan Rice, or ask the, the, the other fullback to, to make sure that they are there as that insurance policy if we lose the ball. We've maybe been a, guilty of being a touch... Touch gung ho um, on home turf, where we just love scoring goals, love flying forward. You know, yeah. it's, it's not the crime of the century, but it's um, it has caught us a few times, hasn't it? And it is, and it is a crime if we're going to keep dropping uh, uh, points when we shouldn't, because really this season we should have won six out of six, and the fact that we haven't is is a, a cause of some concern. Not too much, by the way. I don't think we should get carried away. I'm going to ask you, Amy, about Kai Havertz. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I try and refrain. He's had six games, right? He's had six games, and obviously it hasn't happened yet. I can't, and and I, I never thought I'd miss Granite Xhaka this much. I also would say that. But I can't quite work out what he does, how he affects the game. And obviously Mikel Arteta has a plan for him, otherwise he wouldn't have spent 65 million quid on him. But I can't quite see what he does. Well, it's hard to see what he does at the moment because he hasn't been doing very much really, that is affecting games. It's still early and I, I still want to feel patient and encouraging because I think it's really important, even if it's not the easiest. I, I think he's... I've preferred seeing him playing up front rather than in that left midfield space He's just looked a bit more effective, I think, when he's been in that position, even if it might not be what Mikel Arteta kind of envisaged for him in the in the longer term. But it's really tricky because, you know, in the end, it's so early that I, I refuse to make any kind of over-the-top or definitive judgment. And I'm just hopeful that things will fall into place sooner rather than later. But, you know, the problem with transfers is just sometimes they don't, you know, and it's not nothing to do with how much someone costs or, you know, what their history is or what they're supposed to be good at or what position you've got in mind for them. You know, you you, you bring in a player at any level and you just, you hope it's going to be a Martinelli or a Jesus, but it might be a Pepe or a Willian. You just don't, we don't know. We never know. And that's the nature of, of, of transfers. And, you know, clearly everybody wants 
and needs for this to to turn around and for him to become a very useful part of this team. And by being useful, that means contributing a lot to performances. And it's not helpful that he's got that very laconic style, but he does look like a player whose confidence is is like in the basement. It's not even on the floor. It's like even lower than that. And it's a tricky one to help a player to get their way out of that when they are in the glare. And I guess we just have to give it a bit more time and hope it hope it falls into place. And if it doesn't, then you you have to be ruthless. And Mikel Arteta has shown himself to be ruthless. And the most important thing is the team. And Mikel Arteta is stubborn, Adrian, isn't he? I mean, that's one of his one of his. I mean, it's a good trait in a lot of ways. But he will stick with him for a long time. He obviously has has certain players that he likes, Kai Havertz being one. Certain ones that he doesn't particularly fancy at the moment, like say Emil Smith Rowe. But Kai Havertz in the centre of midfield, we had such a successful midfield partnership last year and and it's things aren't working quite as well no they're not um, I mean you say he's stubborn but he didn't pick him for the biggest game of the season so far he was on the bench so he's already made a concession there he's yeah. he, he has accepted in his own head Mikel Arteta that Fabio Vieira has had a better season and that's why he picked him in this game I actually thought Havertz was quite a bit better than Fabio Vieira I thought that Havertz was I don't think we just we should be digging Havertz out for this performance I wasn't particularly no no no, you no, know, no, no, no you're not digging him out but I'm just saying like bringing bringing it up and you're right, right to bring it up because he hasn't delivered enough but actually I, I didn't I thought he fought quite hard in the game without really impacting it for me the difference what he's got to do is be a bit brave he's got to do the name of this podcast take that handbrake off and make more runs into the box that's what that's what you're good at we, we just talked about the need for having a, a finisher a striker if he joins in as that second striker more often I think he can be a, a real impact player but yeah it's it's not it's not working at the moment I, I, I personally I think I think that with the previous topic that we talked about our structure and, and with this topic here the more I think about it, the more I just see us, our best team being Rice and Partey as a double with Erdegaard in front, you know, doing his thing, you know, with, with Kai on the bench. That That's how I see our strongest team at the moment. We all know that Thomas Partey, assuming he's fit, will be going off to the Africa Cup of Nations. And so we know we're not going to have him for quite a bit. Of, uh, of of January uh, oh, I think it's in January I think one more question before we move on from this game David Raya as I said at the top um, I mean I guess he is number one now uh, if you pick someone for the Champions League in the North London derby I guess Rambo will get the nod on Wednesday for the Brentford game Amy I mean David Raya's distribution wasn't all that yesterday I mean you can maybe put that down slightly to the way Tottenham was set up and there weren't many outlets but uh, I don't know if that's what we're talking about. I mean, he made an amazing save as well. Uh, he made an absolutely fantastic save. Shades of David Seaman in the semi-final of the cup there, scooping it out. It was a brilliant, brilliant moment. We just didn't know where... It was right in front of us. I didn't know where he came from. I just... Uh, it was one of those that absolutely your jaws on the floor it because it was, he brilliant. was on the other side of the goal and it seemed completely impossible. It was a great save. And yet, you could also say slightly culpable for the first Tottenham goal uh, as well for not clearing a, clearing the ball properly. So I don't know uh, where do we? We don't really well, know any more than we did no, before. We but don't. I would say Raya's number one, right? I mean, it looks that way, but it was definitely not a performance to make 
that feel a particularly vindicated choice. And and funnily enough, I think the thing that impressed so much in the previous games, this sort of slight kind of aura that we talked about, being quite commanding and quite cool and really picking his moments, that seemed to be, um, he looked a bit edgy and maybe it was the occasion a little bit. You know, this was a particularly big one. You've come into a new club. You're dealing with the situation where it's not a universally popular decision. It's slightly tricky and controversial and uh, is a, a huge game. But yeah, that distribution did look ropey. And I think you're right to say that it wasn't helped by the fact that it, and it, it, I think it was a case for a lot of the team where you'd look up and they just weren't passes on quite a lot of the time um yeah. which is quite but, unusual and sometimes you have to credit the opposition and i know yeah. we're not here to do that but 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 they they did a great job of squeezing us Basuma was brilliant and and so were a lot of their players i've got to say in midfield apart from screaming at the team to be quicker the other thing i kept screaming more you can hear my voice is a bit coarse obviously screamed a lot <laughs> was you know help him i kept sitting you know somebody would have the ball and they would be smothered and surrounded. And it always looked like any Arsenal player was quite quickly outnumbered and, yes. and restricted in space to try and do something with the ball. And it just felt like we weren't hunting in little groups at all. They were, but we weren't able to, which is why we, we didn't have the luxury of enjoying enough possession to get the game going. All right, enough of that now. Uh, <laughs> to move on. I mean, Adrian said before we started the podcast, I'm sick of talking about this game already. And I get that completely. I get that. So, uh, yeah, we'll talk about something else. Uh, we got Brentford coming up on Wednesday night in the FL Cup. Amy, we did chat before the podcast started and you came up with the team, an alternative team to the eleven that was on the pitch. Can you just give us your alternative yeah, sure. team to the other that finished on the pitch? Because I thought, what, this is a good team. Well, really. exactly. I mean, this is not, I'm not saying that this is a team that's going to play against Brentford because half of them are injured, but I was just trying to, I suppose, understand quite how impacted the lineup was. Um, so people who were not on the pitch at the end of the game for one reason or another, and quite a lot of his injury, although not exclusively. Ramsdale, I've a little hole at right back because there's a certain player I don't particularly want to pick. So I might go <laughs> Ruel Walters or uh, El Neni or something as an emergency. But otherwise, uh, Tomiyasu, Kivio and Timber making up the rest of the defence. Uh, Rice, Partey and Vieira in midfield. Saka, Jesus and Trossard or Martinelli. So you've even got a, a extremely good attacking sub. None of them on the pitch at the end of that game. And if you think about... Players you probably want to be on the pitch at the end of a, a North London derby. That's at least half of those guys. Um, so just puts a bit of perspective on it. But then I started a look and thought, OK, what what kind of team might we pick for this League Cup game coming up? And I think there's a you know, certain number of players that are almost certain to play. Ramsdale, Tomiyasu, Kivior at the back. We're looking at a quite spectacular possible return of the El Neni Jorginho midfield with um, uh, with maybe Havertz uh, and then Nelson and Smith Rowe can be playing as the the, the wide men. You'd expect probably Inketia to play again unless they want to share the minutes with Jesus, uh, but he may need a rest. And you're looking at 
a couple of extra defenders that you might need. Um, Gabrielle normally plays all the time. But it's, you know, I'd love to think that there's a few youngsters that get get consideration. Manieri, um, maybe. And where, uh, yeah, and Lewis Skelly in midfield brings yeah. something very different. Love to see him get a try. And then Sousa or Walters could... Uh, come into the back line and it would be interesting to see them get an opportunity. Um, quite how Arteta wants to use his resources is <laughs> something we'll have to wait and find out. But, you know, it's uh, it's a tricky time and I'm, I, I don't really know what the, what the real aim is from this match. I don't know how seriously it will be taken. What do you think, Adrian? I don't know. I, I would. I, I want to win a trophy, so I just, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to give. I don't want to gift Brentford a, a pass into no. the next round. So, you know, it's, it's a tougher game than we could have got at this stage. It's not the type of game you would ordinarily choose to rest. You know, cho- choose to bring in a load of kids. So, I, I would. I would go stronger, maybe than what you, the team you just said, but 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 for sure. Really? For sure, Nelson and Smith Rowe deserve to play. Um, yeah, I think, again, it, it shows how light we are up front that we don't have anyone else. You know, the, one of the two that played on Sunday have to start. So, yeah, yeah, I would go with that front three. Mm. Um, yeah, Jorginho's obviously in there. Have I would give Havertz another game. I would prefer to see a Ruel Walters at right back than Cedric. Um, let's give him a chance. I think yeah. we, we know what Cedric can do. Let's, let's give him a chance. I would prefer someone, you know, a younger midfielder than Elneny. Not nothing against Elneny, but I just we we know what Elneny can do. I'd love to see someone else given a, given an opportunity there. If Charlie Patino was still there, you'd want to play yeah. him, wouldn't you? Really? Yeah, exactly. So we'll see. But I, yeah, Brentford will rotate a lot as well. Thomas Frank um, in the cup competitions is. He doesn't take them that seriously. Um, he will. He will make. I would imagine eight, nine, ten changes himself. Yeah. Okay. The big news um, last week was, of course, Martin Odegaard signing a new contract. Amy, you did call it. Said that very lightly to announce it. I mean, it was sort of done. Obviously, they didn't make the video uh, just on the hoof <laughs> suddenly. <laughs> and by the way, well played to the Arsenal social media department. That connection between the community, and I like Martin Odegaard going around the local community in Islington. He's the club's highest earner, uh, new contract till 2028. Huge moment, really, because putting aside it, he didn't play that great yesterday we know how good a player he is and we know what he can do and he's still only what 20 is he not even not even 24 yet is he so it's a big moment for the club to tie him down for five years that's a magnificent deal I mean you know even the initial outlay seems pittance for a player of his calibre 30 million it's insane what I just think has been such a pleasure is he's just got better and better since he first arrived on loan and he just, his enjoyment as being in the team and being a major player and being someone who clearly enjoys the responsibility of being captain uh, in a kind of broader way. So off the pitch, I think, as much as on, I think he takes that as something that he's sincerely proud of uh, and wants to be a good role model and a good member of Planet Arsenal, you know. That's it's hard not to be thrilled, and that's why everybody was justifiably delighted when that announcement video dropped. 
Anything to add, Adrian? I mean, it's just great, no, isn't it? It's great. No, I love news. him. Love him as a player, as a person. He's a great ambassador as well as a, a you know, a superb player on the pitch. Yeah, I just wish he played better against Tottenham. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think that that they did a good job on him. They and stopped they the ball getting to him, yeah, didn't they? They nullified him pretty well, um, them lot. So, um, but yeah, no, it's it's a great deal for us, and and I genuinely do think he is in in the Premier League eleven. You know, if there was a Premier League eleven. He gets into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's absolutely marvellous. And the future does look bright. And the future, by the way, looks even brighter. Um, the other day, Arsenal broke the record for the youngest player ever fielded in an under-18 Premier League fixture. 13-year-old midfielder Max Downman came off the bench during the Gunners' 4-0 victory over Southampton. I mean, Adrian, how good must he be, this kid? 13, <laughs> well, I've never seen him play. Yeah, well, I was, I was, I was speaking to Jeremy Aliadier at the game yesterday and um, his kid, his boy, is in the... Arsenal Academy so he's always there so, so, so I had to take the opportunity said this Max Downman what's he like what's he like and he said Phew. he said yeah he is he is some player um, absolute standout he's been playing regularly two years above for a while now and he looks one of the best players two years above um, he, he said Jeremy he's played quite a bit one year above and every single time they go to a tournament, he's player of the tournament in a year above. And, and that's, you know, you've got to be absolutely superb to be doing that because, you know, Arsenal and all these other clubs have got, have got the cream of the crop. So, yeah, he's, he's, he's a very good all-round midfielder, I'm told. Very composed, technically on the on the money, in, you know, great mature decision-making. Just a, just a real smooth central midfield operator um, that... That sounds very Arsenal. So the fact that he's in the under 18s has got to be a little bit of a one yeary situation from the club behind the scenes just to to make him feel yeah. that he is Progress. a little bit special and that they really are going to look after him. We saw Ranieri make his debut at 15. I think that's what's happening here. They're just laying the seeds to say, you're one that we're going to use. Don't worry about it. You know. Jorginho and Dowman for uh, on uh, on Wednesday against Brentford. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, I mean, thirteen. That is quite a leap because under eighteen football. I mean, yeah. back in the day, it was it was pretty hostile and aggressive. Um, South East County's youth football. Um, I think it's a bit tamer these days. It's a bit more technical, but I couldn't imagine being in that team at, at thirteen. That is quite some achievement. Just just a, a, a not to dispute because I, I I don't really know. For sure but um him being the youngest uh ever i think there still needs to be some clarity on that because there's a, a an absolute don of arsenal statistics and history called andy kelly you find him on twitter and he uh remembered uh cedric avina from a few years ago who also played at the age of 13 and he had noted exactly like 13 and however many days it wasn't very many it was on the short side of number of days in the year and it was difficult to be completely sure because I don't think they knew exactly when Downman's birthday is but there is a suggestion that he might be a slightly older 13 year old so this is not to underplay his uh, evident potential but I just think we need to be 100% factually uh, correct uh, before there's a long way to go there is a long way to go yeah I've seen so many sensational 13 year olds that 
that are nowhere when they're 19. And, you know, everyone peaks at different times. I probably peaked at 14. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I was pretty at the peak of my powers in terms of maybe being one of the best in the country at my age, at that age. But then by the time I was 21, I was a bit further down the order. You know, it's it does happen. Um, so it doesn't, it's no guarantee that this kid will make the first team but I think obviously the club are trying to make him feel feel loved and wanted which is which is sensible Stuart James wrote a piece in The Athletic not long ago about a guy whose name escapes me for the moment but he was considered to be far superior to Mbappe in that generation at Clairefontaine he was the one who everyone said was the best they'd ever seen and he never he had issues and it never happened for him but you know yeah there's a lot of changes can happen it's, between 13 and... Uh, but and, good and luck to him, as we Damon. Know. Go do your quite, thing. Quite Don't do let the pressure thing. get to you. <laughs> no. Um, let's have a song. Adrian, what have you got for us? Yeah. Um, after the game, I just felt a bit bruised by it, by this sort of experience. <laughs> it was... Yeah. Yeah, I think we were all a little bit battered and bruised. So, yeah, going for Bruises by uh, Lewis Capaldi. There must be something in the water Cos every day it's getting colder And if only I could hold ya You'd keep my head from going under yeah, <laughs> I love Lewis Capaldi, he's great. Um, Amy, what about you? I changed my mind. Uh, I was going to do um, some much more uh, uh, negative, <laughs> disappointment-based songs. But after our conversation at the beginning about um, mood swings, I've gone for a song of that name uh, by LTJ Bookham. I might have picked it before. It's absolutely <laughs> superb. Yeah, um, I was also going to go negative and then I thought, no, 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 stop it, stop it. You just get a bit down after results like uh, yesterday. So I've gone for I'm a Believer by The Monkeys, which is a song that I love. And I am, and you know I am. And uh, why not? Then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. Let's enjoy the run. Jay, you, uh, you, you cannot pick that, Jay. <laughs> not, not this week. On the brute... On bruises, am, the players have got the players have got plenty of those as well this morning, so it yeah. kind of works on a couple yeah, of yeah, levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't have to justify it. That's fair enough. Um, <laughs> that's it. Thank you to Amy and Adrian. Thanks to Jay, our producer. Uh, we'll see you after Brentford on Thursday. This has been Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by the Athletic Tour. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 
$10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.